0: Good morning, Fresno, and welcome to Life, Family, Liberty, a weekly radio show and podcast from California Family Council. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you all today. And I'm joined in studio by John Girardi. Good to be here also. Uh, John is the director for Right to Life Central California. So this is kind of a fun weekly thing we do. If you're just tuning in or if you've been wondering very confused why there's two different people. We kind of do this fun tag team thing where even though John does not work for CFC, I greatly appreciate his insight and expertise. There you go. It's a good, uh, it's it's a win-win.
1: Jonathan's weekly way of making me feel bad for abandoning it. That's right. And taking a different job because I used to work for CFC.
0: That's right. No, it's, you know, it's actually nice. And I've, I've, I've joked about it, but it's like, I get to have a lawyer make smart comments without actually having to pay for it. Yeah, there you go. It's like the the least expensive hourly wages wages you can possibly get. Exactly. Yeah. I can can write letters for you. I can do all kinds of stuff. And rages. I said wages, but rages, depending on what the topic is. Often rage. Often rage. So- uh, John, we're going to be going live on Facebook here in a minute as well. So if you are listening online and you are wanting to see the see what you're horrific missing. faces that are bringing you this commentary. If you want to watch us uh, fill out our NCAA brackets. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Um, I, I don't know why, John, but it seems like the news media is just not as interested in hearing President Trump's NCAA picks as they were with President Obama. The, yeah. The, uh, you know,
1: shockingly, you know.
0: You know, I, I don't know. I it's guess. amazing
1: how all these like fun jokey, oh, well, we put aside partisan politics for the sake of having fun, like picking NCAA tournament stuff. That only happens under Democrat administrations. So yes. no, no one has any fun during a GOP administrations. No, so. no,
0: GOP administrations, it is the everything is an existential crisis and everything yeah. is horrible. I um, will say, John, on that issue, I'm going to actually see if I can find you a photo here because I, I did actually see something that was um, – Kind of uh kind of interesting. I can't remember. remember if I,
1: you're on radio.
0: I am, I know. I'm I, I, I did send it to you though in um I think I sent it to you as a Twitter direct message. It was um William Daly. Um, Father Bill Daly. Yeah. The priest who preached at my wedding. Oh, did he really? Yeah. He was one I, of my law school professors. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so he's my buddy. So did I actually uh did I actually send that to you? Um, in the, I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, about well, this those, is perfect is then. This yeah, is perfect. You're, then,
1: you're, you're trying to describe something you can't remember right. and trying to pull up an image for an a radio some, show. Okay, no, well,
0: well right. let me explain. I'll read it to you because this is why I think it is, a, this is why it's significant. Um, I thought that I had actually sent it to you, but I did not. I, I was about to send it to you and I only screenshotted it to show you later. So essentially, there was a interesting story about the... Um, the prime minister of Ireland, who is not actually called a prime minister, I guess. Um, He's got some crazy name.
1: Yeah, and it's the some... yeah, or something like it's, that.
0: It's something that is, is very complicated that you don't uh, you don't normally get to understand. It is the um, the Guinness O Yes, uh, it's it's something that is uh, something that is complicated. So someone, a a person on Twitter, who really doesn't matter. Um, Oh yeah, okay. I'll say Guthrie Graves Fitzsimmons, which apparently is an actual real name. That's not not a joke. No, that's not the name that, of a. That's not a, a niche Irish whiskey brand. No, that, that that's an actual person who is verified on Twitter. He has a blue check mark. Says uh, bio is expert. That's how you on, know he's smart. Expert on the religious left, activist plus writer, senior associate at Rethink Media and founder of Resistance Praise. Okay. Uh, byline: CNN, Washington Post, The Daily Beast. All right. So he. I'm assuming just from that byline is um, a little bit more progressive liberal than than you or I might be. Okay. But he said, send me your gift reactions to Mike Pence hosting the gay prime minister of Ireland and his boyfriend at his house, the Naval Observatory. There you go. So there's this photo of Mike Pence and they're all wearing- Little you know, green things. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, chalet, yeah, like shamrocks or whatever it is. Okay. And uh, Mike Pence looks as Mike Pence often does. he He's kind of a funny looking person. He's But he's just a normal dude. I mean, he's yeah. just, you know, he's the vice president. I, I think he looks generally much more socially appropriate than Joe Biden does in most cases and situations. Well, he's generally not trying to massage people. That's also true. <laughs> um, but, this is the thing that Bill Daly wrote, and as I start Facebook Live, if you Father want to read Bill. that, Father Bill, yes, if Father you want Bill. to read that, John, as Father I Father Bill this.
1: says, I assume those amused by this cannot produce a picture of themselves being gracious and loving to people with whom they have disagreements about morality, hence the hilarity. So,
0: yes. So, the point being is that um, I think that— uh, This was a real payoff for a picture that— radio listeners can't see. Yes. yes. I'm going to see if I can start the output here. We'll see if this will work. Um, but yeah, the, the the
1: left has this idea that because uh, Mike Pence has traditional viewpoints on marriage, therefore he cannot be social with people with whom he disagrees that he cannot be nice to gay people that he cannot be kind to gay people that he must want to force this man into a concentration camp or something. Yes. And that's, this is the kind of blind, uh, the blindly ludicrous vision that the left has about the right that we are actually genuinely as evil as they, they think in all of their fever dreams. And, and that's the thing that's kind
0: of funny going back to-
1: That, dis- that disagreement on morality equals
0: hatred. Personal animus. Personal animus, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And, and this is something that is actually, um, John, it, it's a conversation I'd like to have longer, maybe if you and I have a chance to read the book. Um, th- there's a lot of discussion in now in the presidential uh, uh, sweepstakes mm-hmm. between the uh, different candidates that are running. Um, there is a real kind of decision on how the Democrats are going to run um, against President Trump, and part of the question is: Are we going to double down on resistance and anger? And in the words of the new freshman Congresswoman from Michigan, uh, Rashida Talib, are we going to impeach the blanker blanker, um, to use her language? I mean, right. literally the before she was even sworn in. I think it was the week she was elected, or at least within the lame duck period, mm-hmm. she went to an event and you know, said, said, when I'm talking gonna... to my son and I promise him, we're going to impeach the blanker, blanker. Yeah. And I, when well, thinking to myself, wow, you use that language in front of your son. Like, okay. Literally, you're All quoting right. a conversation with your son and that's there what you, you do. Sounds great. Yeah, but I, I also think, John, that it's interesting because you're seeing these, these two models of uh, engagement and you see people like Rashida Tlaib or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or you see people that are running for the presidency like uh, Bernie Sanders or Kamala Harris or other people, Kristen Gillibrand, who they kind of have a brand of, our entire goal is to be as aggressive and attacking of the right and conservatives and people of traditional morality who care about life, family, and liberty, sadly not just in the opposite party, but even in their own party, mm-hmm. um, we're going to attack those people uh, as much as possible. Um, then there's people, interestingly, who are trying to rise above the fray. And mm-hmm. uh, can't we all just get along and can't we my all name's just... My name's Beto O'Rourke. Yes. So and I was born for this. That's right, literally. God. And that's why I am on the cover of this magazine. Good Lord. Even though I have enough scandals in my background that <laughs> probably would have derailed any, any other I, Republican have derailed, campaign. By the way, not to get all
1: uh, identity politics and all, but um, no woman with his background would have gotten close to as far as he's gotten. Like, it, it's very, I mean, like. Not not to, you know, not to be Mr. Feminist or anything, but, like, <laughs> the guy is a Muppet. I mean, he's done nothing. Yep. He's only... he's was a two-term all of his, or three-term congressman. He was, congressman. like, a three-term congressman from El Paso who's handsome and who had a competitive race against, like, the least liked politician in America, Ted Cruz. That is somehow more impressive than... I, I mean, I, I, you know, I have no great love for Kamala Harris, but... She's a United States Senator. She was an attorney general of a state. She was a high powered prosecutor. She's accomplished a lot. She's clearly really smart and really accomplished. Like I disagree with her on basically everything, but the idea that that Beto O'Rourke is like, oh, this is a better standard bearer than Kamala Harris or or even any of the other women in the race. Like the guy is a Muppet. If he weren't handsome, (laughs) he wouldn't even be close. Like he's a complete joke. Anyway, uh so here's the incredible thing, John, and I don't know if you've seen now that this. I'm endorsing or anything. I'm no, just saying no, no. as an observ I, I think as an observer I, I I think we can comment on the qualities of this these people. Well, and, I- and he has no he has no accomplishments to his name.
0: He he's he's a pretty face and I think that's the root of his popularity. So, John, that pretty face over the weekend ra- announced that he raised 6.1 million dollars, mm-hmm. which is the most I believe ever raised in an opening 24 hours for any presidential candidate ever in history, including beating Bernie. Bernie Sanders. Wow. Now, this is really significant because Bernie- I know my uh, social media accounts were
1: peppered with uh, fundraising ads from from Beto. Like it, it like left, uh, several, one, I had one on Twitter, I got one on Facebook, et cetera. Um, and they're talking about how they're taking no PAC money. And I'm sure there wasn't a PAC that helped pay for all of those ads. No, no, certainly not.
0: (laughs) On Facebook and Twitter, which I'm sure were uh, cost a pretty penny. So the the fascinating thing though is the two highest raisers in the Democratic Party are Bernie Sanders and Beta O'Rourke. And the question is going to be, I think in that sense, which one of those two models is going to be the model moving forward for our civic discourse? Are we going to have angry, raging against the machine or young, you know, vanilla milk toast. Two roads diverging. We will be back shortly after the break on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I am your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you all today. And we are almost back on Facebook Live. I think we're going to restart the uh, start the camera here. Uh, anyway, John. Yeah. We're talking. We're talking presidential politics. We're, s- we're still talking presidential politics. Having a good time doing that. Um, and we'll see if our. Uh, so yeah. We- well, in the break.
1: Yeah. We've been so we've been talking about uh, the different leading contenders on the Democrat side. Who who could it be? Beto O'Rourke uh, announced his campaign in a big gag-worthy uh, spread in Vanity Fair, in which Annie Leibovitz took pictures of him. Uh, boy, th- if there's one thing Democrats love, it's a handsome guy. <laughs> Democrats, if you you give them a handsome guy to vote for president, they will just. Oh my gosh! It's nothing makes the Democrat base happier than a handsome guy. You get John, someone who brings up those good John Kennedy vibes. Oh, a handsome rich guy, handsome rich white guys. I love right. those, love those. They're the best. Yes, <laughs> like Barack Obama. No, just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I will. I will say. So let me read you now. Barack Obama being handsome. Barack Obama being a handsome guy was was a big deal. Any it was. anyone you can compare to John Kennedy. Uh, immediately they're ready to go, even if they have all of the substance of uh,
0: a bag of jelly beans. So, again, let me... Which is basically Beto O'Rourke. Let me do my best efforts to make the show awkward by reading tweets on the air. There you go. Uh, But this is the the series of tweets regarding Beto that is interesting. So much for the speculation that he disappointed. Beto outraised even Bernie in his first day, 6.1 million and counting. So, John, just for comparison, the reason this is so significant, I realize that money is money is not everything. If if it's money most was things. well, I'll put it this way: if if contributions and money raised uh, and PACs supporting you equaled uh, presidential victory, then Hillary Clinton would be president right that now. That is true. That is true. So it is not everything, but- but I, when it comes to the primaries. You need a certain amount to get yourself in the ball game, right? And, and that's actually literally true for the Democratic debates. Um, the, the Republicans, interestingly, had a system in twenty sixteen where it was kind of "come one, come all." You know, uh, there were seventeen candidates, and if you remember, there was a situation where they had like they joked and called it the kitty table debate so yeah. you had you know the the main stage was 10 candidates and the kitty table was you know seven to nine candidates and the yeah, only that was, that was like the rick santorum table right well and the only candidate that successfully graduated from the kids table to the big table was carly fiorina after mm-hmm. her initial performance who i will also just say just a side note i know i'm kind of probably alone somewhat in this but i thought she would have been a fantastic president um <laughs> I thought she would have been a phenomenal candidate just, to see on the stage,
1: John, John, Jonathan. Not, just, uh, so whimsical, yeah. If she, I, and I feel like if she <sighs> hadn't clashed so much with Trump, might have wound up somehow have. in the
0: Trump administration. Yes. But that has not happened. As, yes. thus far, she could have been Trump's vice president if she wasn't first Ted Cruz's vice president, yes. which many people don't remember. <laughs> but for oh, a yeah, glorious two weeks, yeah, yeah, she was. That was the ticket. uh vice presidential nominee. Yeah. Um, but the reason i the reason i bring that up is that um they basically had rules that said you know look you can come be in the debates if you have a pulse and you are registered as a republican you can come and be in the debates mm-hmm. more or less i mean i'm sure there were some slight requirements but the democrats because they've seen how many candidates are running and they're realizing like you said john oh you know it's really easy to treat running for president and you know having control of the nuclear weapons as a stepping stone to getting a book deal. And a show on MSNBC, <laughs> yeah. Which is not ideally how you want to run a country or how you want to run a nominating process if you're a competent party. Sure. Um, you know, setting aside the Republican Party's uh, efforts in Huckabee. 2016. Huckabee, Huckabee, <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> no, Huckabee. exactly. <clears throat> yep, anyway, pretty much, sorry. And people also forget, you know, John, John Kasich actually used to have a show on MSNBC. MSNBC before he went back and ran for governor. He was, no way. Oh yeah, like he was a, he was a congressman in the '90s, and then in the mid 2000s, um, he ran for governor in 2010, and he won two terms as Ohio governor in 2010 and 2014. But from the mid 2000s, he had a show called Heartland with John Kasich oh, on gosh. MSNBC. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it was. Uh,
1: <laughs> it, you know, sounds, I just just imagine the idea of consciously making the decision to sit down and listen to John Kasich talk for more than 10 seconds at a time sounds like
0: pure torture. It was, uh, it was an American news television program that appeared on, oh, you know what? I take it back, I'm sorry. It was on Fox News. Of course, of course. From 2001 through 2007. Um, so anyway, and it was unlike most shows filmed in New York or Washington, the show was based in Kasich's hometown of Columbus, Ohio. They made they immediately got rid
1: of that and replaced it with Huckabee probably Huckabee who's actually kind of more folksy and yes. than John Kasich yes. who is pretend folksy
0: yes but um in, anyway that, that is something that they definitely try to do so they try to have a I think the Democrats are trying to make it be more uh, standards based so yeah uh, avoid avoid some of the problems that we saw on the Republican side and so the the very high threshold. That the Democrats have for being able to get onto their debate stage is number one, you have to be polling at least 1% Ah. in an average of national polls, which is actually, I think, harder than you might expect. Well, yeah, when you got 20 people splitting up the vote. Yeah. Yeah. People have to actually at least know who you are and be willing to, you know, vote for you. One out of 100 people have to choose you over Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden or Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris, et cetera, et cetera. Pedro O'Rourke. Yeah. Or the other way you can do it is you need to get a total of 65,000 donors, uh, including within that, at least 200 donors from 20 different states. Huh. So okay. if, if you live in Los Angeles, for example, you're and the get- mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, you can't just say, I'm going to get 65,000 people out of this city of 3 million people to donate to me and I'm good. No. I'm going to run hyper-targeted Facebook ads in the city of New York as Christian Gillibrand and I'm going to get... 65,000 people out of 10 million people to vote for me and I'm good, or give me give me something. And there's not a dollar contribution limit. So it doesn't have to be, oh, you know, I need a I need hundred dollar contributions. No, you could literally get chip in with $3, you know? So it's f- fairly easy, I think, to get $3 contributions from 65,000 people. Getting yeah. it from 20 states, that requires a little bit more breadth. So th- the reason I bring it up, John, is that, there's this effort to try to buy your way into the process and to do this. Um, but Beto O'Rourke right now is the leader in this regard. Um, he has raised more money than Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, when he announced his fundraising haul a couple of weeks ago, he had raised more money in his first 24 hours than any other candidate, except, I mean, uh, including himself, Bernie Sanders, in 2015 when he announced. Right. And at that time in 2015, Bernie Sanders had raised the most. So literally, Bernie Sanders holds the number two and number three spots for the most amount of money raised in a 24-hour period, I mm-hmm. believe. And the fact that Beto has now beat Bernie is very interesting. And I think it shows that it is possible. I mean, we were joking about it before, John, but it is possible that Beto's kind of tabula rasa, he's he's kind of this blank slate. He's this young hip Gen Xer and... Uh, you know, I'm just a real earnest guy, and, you know, I... Yeah, he he, doesn't seem to actually
1: have... All of his positions feel very blah and vanilla and undefined, and it seems like he tries to position himself to be as well-liked by as many people as possible. This is about bringing the country back together. Yeah, and, and even, I mean, I don't know that this got enough coverage. I tweeted about it. He has this plan for expanding the Supreme Court. Yes. So let's talk about this. All right. (laughs) So uh, with with Brett Kavanaugh's nomination and the prospect of a 5-4 conservative majority on the Supreme Court, a lot of liberals are completely freaking out. They're afraid Roe v. Wade will be gone, et cetera. And there have been some people on the left who've been advocating for basically packing the Supreme Court, trying to add more seats onto the Supreme Court to bring back
0: a liberal majority. No, they, no, no, John! Not to bring back to to restore, to restore balance, order, on and, the court. and 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 normal norms, normy
1: normy norms. Don't you know, so, John, that the since normal time immemorial we've since had the an founding, activist Supreme Court? Yes, yes. Come on, it wasn't just a bunch of big mistakes that happened in the 20th century. Anyway, so Beto O'Rourke has given big mistake his, is our nickname for Anthony Kennedy, and uh, yes, yeah anyway, David Suter. Yeah, uh, Beto O'Rourke has given his plan for how he should do it. Now it doesn't have the hard liberal brazen, we wanna pack the Supreme Court because we want a liberal majority again, ring to it. It's, it. it's so asinine that it's either hopelessly naive and stupid or totally cynical. So his thought is allow Republicans to appoint five Supreme Court justices, allow Democrats to appoint five Supreme Court justices and then let those ten Supreme Court
0: justices pick five more. Which which Republican would be appointing this when they say the Republicans? Are yeah, we talking which, about which is
1: like okay? First of all, this plan requires, I think, a constitutional amendment. Yep. First of all, because the the process for appointing a Supreme Court justice is the president nominates and the Senate confirms, um, or does not confirm. Uh, secondly. He, he's dealing with this fiction that is popular with politicians who wanna act like they're above the fray, that there is actually out there some neutral, moderate, middle ground in our political and judicial philosophies, that if we just could get to that and get above the partisanship, we would all be better off. No, conservative judicial nominees have a certain mindset. Liberal judicial nominees have a certain mindset. There's not something in between the two of them that's somehow better and will lead to better outcomes. No, John, averages fix
0: everything. You just need to average everything out and and you're good. Yeah, it's incredibly naive and stupid. So we will keep talking about that, both the Supreme Court and just a bigger picture of the political system looking forward when we come back on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I am your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you today. And we are here in the studios of AM 1680 in Fresno. And we are going to be live again on Facebook. We have a new system, so I think we're going to be. Uh, there, we are. there we go. We're going to be live again here in a second. Uh, John, we're kind of taking like a big picture look um, going beyond the normal things we talk about on the show. And we've been talking about presidential candidates. Uh, the Democratic race is shaping up to be very interesting uh, to see how things are going to uh, shake out. I think we'll be a um, we're not going to be bored. I don't think we're going to have any shortage of things to talk about. I'll just put it that no, way. No, the rest of the year and next year. Um, but I was going, John. Let me let me read a little bit more. I want to close this thing with this these couple of tweets here, and then kind of shift topics. But uh, we were talking about Beta O'Rourke raising so much money, and these are the two follow up tweets that I saw uh, from a guy named Esoteric Jeff on Twitter, who is a another verified person. He said the zeitgeist on Twitter, near as I could ascertain it, was skeptical to dismissive of Beto, tacitly treated him as a paper tiger. That's all going to change now, which is true. If you become the number one highest raising uh, person in the field, then people kind of have to take you seriously. Sure. Even if they think you're a bit of a doof. Um, Second observation, the white hot rage of the Bernie brigade toward Beto is going to be something remarkable to see. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, this is the, I feel like there was this very basic dynamic
1: in the Democrat, in Hillary's campaign and and the Democratic primaries that, that people don't talk about enough. So Hillary goes against Bernie the system is clearly slanted in her favor she wins the system is rigged bernie doesn't get the respect that he and his supporters feel like they deserve bernie doesn't get picked to be the vice president a bernieite person does not get picked to be the vice president instead hillary picks someone as relatively moderate as relatively establishment as, as she is maybe even more so she's clearly shooting for the middle she loses a bunch of states that she should not have lost Wisconsin Michigan it's clear that there were some bernie people who stayed home and they were so mad over the primary they were so mad over they were they disliked hillary so much that they stayed home and genuinely adversely affected her chances now there were elements on the republican side that worked against her you know maybe the, that combo of alienating the Bernie people and Trump being there resulted in a better, you know, better odds in states like Wisconsin and Michigan than would otherwise have been present. But if the Democrats do this again, <laughs> if they reject Bernie again and pick someone like Beto, who is very toast and moderate, who 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 does not, I mean, none of his viewpoints are in the least exciting for someone from this sort of more socialist AOC slash Bernie background, um, I feel like it's going to be really alienating for them. Again, so,
0: so here's the interesting thing. And I,
1: and I think some of them will stay home rather than vote for Beto.
0: So, um, again, if you, if you follow on Twitter, there's a, there's a guy named Josh Barrow, uh, who is not a conservative. Um, he is, uh, another verified person. He's a business columnist for New York magazine. Um, and he is, uh, he's an interesting, interesting Twitter guy. Lots of fascinating uh, things that he talks about and, you know, very well informed. But he's responding to the tweet I read earlier about Beto not being a paper tiger. And he said, The thing I hear from a lot of my normie friends, you know, that's what, that's what you call people who don't follow politics on a day to day basis or write about it. The thing I hear from a lot of my normie friends is, quote, I just want Barack Obama back, unquote. For a material chunk of the electorate, i'm not sure you need more of a platform than that that's true. So the thing that's interesting, and this is why John, I think that I almost wonder if if uh, Joe Biden's candidacy is going to explode on the launch pad before it ever actually you know takes flight um, i I think that if you have to pick between who is the comfortable uh, folksy white guy that can make me feel the most comfortable and you know uh, secure and not freak me out. If you have to choose between Joe Biden or Beta or Rourke, that's a tough call. I don't know. I think that's a tough call. Now, I think a lot of things. Th- there is something to say that if uh, Joe Biden has the, can't we just go back to the way things were? Because he uh, literally was the way things were. He, he literally was, was. He was the vice president. And by all accounts, John, I think that if Joe Biden. I mean, forget Bernie and Hillary. If Joe Biden would have won for, run for president in 2016, I think he would have won. I am almost positive he would have won. Yeah,
1: I think he wins uh, Pennsylvania. I think he makes Ohio closer. I think he wins wish- Wisconsin and, and Michigan. And probably Michigan. Yeah, uh, I and think, that's the whole ball game. Yeah, I think he's a lot more likable and easygoing and uh, an easier pill to swallow than, than uh, Hillary was. Now, I think the Bernie people would still have been
0: alienated and angry. I think they would have, but I think in a in a at least a three way field where it wasn't Hillary versus Bernie, I think that it would have been that that anger would have been diffused a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think the the trick the trick here is that Beto uh, you have to be careful how you say this because I think that there has been some jokes that I've uh, I, I saw something online where people were saying oh you know look you know Beto is basically just the white version of Obama. Um, to be fair. President Obama did go to Harvard Law School. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he was the, the a big, state the senator. Biggest knock, was...
1: The biggest knock, the biggest against Obama is that he had no experience, and and yet Veto O'Rourke has somehow outdone him by For lack of by, experience by by his, his at least like Obama was at least smart i think yeah uh, obama was a harvard law school graduate he was editor-in-chief well of read. the harvard law review he yeah he was like an adjunct professor i think at university of chicago law school like they don't hand that out to anybody no like he was a smart guy beto like graduated from columbia end of accomplishments uh he he worked a couple of dead-end jobs right after college he was sort of in a band sort of uh and then managed to you know, get out of a DUI arrest and yes. and
0: wound his way into local El Paso politics and became a congressman. Which, by the way, a, a, a side note that is fascinating, when he was being interviewed about this and he mentioned, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, earlier in life, I have been arrested twice. Uh, Beta O'Rourke says, it goes, I've been arrested twice. You know, once was uh, for criminal trespassing because, you know, I was doing a prank or whatever it was. And then he said the other time was, you know, for driving while intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the only reason that I, you know, uh, basically, was able to um, move past that. Uh, it didn't define who I was, but I realized the reason why I uh, didn't have bigger uh, ramifications from that was not because I was, you know, smarter, or not because you know I was slicker, but because of my white privilege. <laughs> so he's like apologizing for all of his white privilege and, and thinks the appropriate response is to be the leader of the free world. Yes. So th- that's the thing that's so odd is that you have this like this weird mix of saying. um I, I am infected in my very being with uh, toxic masculinity and white privilege and- Yeah, but um, if you feel so bad about
1: it, don't run for president. I mean, yes. that, that's the weird thing. Like it, he's done a lot of apologizing this past weekend, Yes, which is not a great way to start your presidential campaign. But uh, yeah, it, it just seems odd. Like what the 2016 election proved more than anything is that unconventional is not bad. Unconventional can be good. In fact, unconventional might be exactly what people are looking for. And Beto is running as an incredibly conventional candidate. So I guess the question is I mean, how many conventional Republican candidates did Donald Trump trample all over on his way to the White House? Having someone like Beto, who's playing by these older rules, who's afraid to, you know, really go after someone who's afraid to act in these sort of non-traditional ways. I don't know that that's a winning, I don't know that that's a winning combo. I mean, maybe all you need is someone more likable than Hillary Clinton. And that's a, you know, pretty low bar to attain. I get it as much as some of these things about likability, they only get applied to female candidates and that's a little lame. Um, But that tends, I mean, seems to be the way a lot of people think. And I mean, I think we can also make some claims that Hillary Clinton is objectively in various ways not 100% likable um, given scandals and all kinds of shady things she was doing with servers and all kinds of stuff. So it'll be really interesting to see. I I think the final showdown is going to be somewhere between Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Beto O'Rourke, and out of those three, will come the next candidate. You, I would, not be, I would not be surprised. I would not be. I don't know that she cracks into that. And I, I, I'll bet you anything, it's Bernie who comes out. Not anything, but I will bet it's Bernie who comes out of it. I think if it, I think if Biden jumps in, he splits up the normie vote between himself and Beto, and Bernie just rides
0: that socialist wave all the way. So I do have to show you, John, another thing—a a photo that you'll you'll appreciate here. So th- this—I don't know if you know who Billy Eichner is. He's a yeah, you know, yeah, he's some crazy comedian dude. Yes. Oh, he doesn't a, like Beto O'Rourke and he's looking at Mayor Pete. Yeah. A very prominent uh, gay comedian who was on uh, Parks and Rec, and you know, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's the famous meme that you'll probably be able to barely see here of you know the the guy walking with the girl and looking at the other girl, and yes, yes. So it's a picture of instead it's. Said it's three Billy, guys. Yeah, since Billy Eichner looking
1: away from Beta O'Rourke and looking at Mayor Pete again. Photos I'm, on the radio. I'm, I'm a just, great way yeah, to do you know, the radio. You know,
0: I, I'm just, uh, I'm just saying. Um, I, I, I think John that Mayor Pete could surprise a little bit. I. He was, geez,
1: People probably don't even understand who we're talking about. We're talking about Pete Mayor Jig. Mayor Pete. Pete Jig was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana the city in northern Indiana where Notre Dame happens to be located next, next to, uh, and on the strength of being a mayor from a red Midwestern state, a Democrat mayor in a red Midwestern state, Pete Buttigieg is trying to run for president because there's no elective office statewide in Indiana he can actually run for. Right. I continue, if the guy couldn't even get a
0: Trader Joe's in South Bend, <laughs> I don't know how he should be pre- leader of the free world. Hey, that's, a, that's a line from Holly Girardi right there. That right. is uh, fantastic. I am going to anonymously share that with uh, some of my friends because that is a, that's a perfect example of your executive leadership ability. Uh, We will be back after this on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. John, I'm going to make a hard turn here because we've been talking about politics and who's up, who's down, the the horse race, the fundraising numbers. I want to share a positive story that that has to do right here with Fresno, California. There you go, Jonathan. Go for it. So this is our buddy Casey Maddox, who formerly with Alliance Defending Freedom, now with the Charles Koch Institute on free speech. Yeah, I know that's it's. for those of you who can't see, John is waving around uh, money, 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 money signs. Money, money, money. But Casey goes to a church. I've actually been to Burke Community Church uh, with him and his family. I went and uh, uh, was a guest with him a couple. I think about a year ago uh, when I was back in D.C. And he had is a. Is that named a, after Saint Burke? I don't know. Oh, no. I, I, I Probably not, because I don't think it was a, uh, it was definitely not a Catholic church. It was more of the, uh, the Southern Baptist variety. But... Oh, well, wait, I thought he was a martyr from like the 11th century. Oh, no. Well, be.
1: Don't go back that far. No, okay, no, sorry. No, sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> uh, Just getting my shots in.
0: So Casey, Casey says this. There's a photo on his post of a woman named Jess, and she is wearing a red jersey with a bulldog on it. And you would think, why would a, a bulldog shirt be all the way back there in Virginia? And he says, quote, So this morning in church, our pastor is talking about how God takes our trials and challenges and accomplishes more than we can imagine. His illustration, all the way back in Virginia, was about a Students for Life of America group at Fresno State University, who was chalking their pro-life messages and had a professor confront them and erase their messages, telling them college campuses are not free speech zones, unquote. But then God had the students find attorneys who challenged this. They won, and the students resumed chalking their messages at Fresno State. Later, a woman named Jess got pregnant at Fresno State. She intended to have an abortion. Then she saw the messages and then she chose life. And then Casey says, you may have guessed by now, but this was a case I worked on and I didn't even know this part of the story until this morning. So literally he is sitting in the audience at his own church and he did not know this story until his pastor shared it. There you go. And he says, thankful to God for his goodness and thanks for the amazing work of the great ADF attorneys, Travis Barnum, Tyson Langhofer, Caleb Dalton, and especially Bernadette Taisy, our brave friend and the president of students for life. And Bernadette says in the comments, she says, wow, our story is still having such a big impact across the country. Thanks for everything. And thanks for sharing this. So it's super cool. Yeah. And really exciting to just see, you know, John, I mean, you never know how, uh, how God is going to use little things that we get frustrated by, um, how he's going to use them for good. There you go. And, um, I, uh, I'm excited because it just is another way where in California, sometimes, John, I think we can get frustrated with the, um, the overwhelming um, progressive ideology that you see, not just in the government, but you see in the cultural institutions like yes. at Fresno State. And sometimes you can wonder, gosh, you know, what, what really can we do? I mean, is it better just to kind of fold up our tent, you know, pick up our ball and go home? Um, or do we wanna keep staying and fighting and engaging? And I think this is a good example that even if you are a uh, you know, a lone 20 uh, year old, four uh, foot 11 student at Fresno State as Bernadette is, uh, you can have a outsized impact uh, both in your community and around the country. There so, you go, there you go. Uh, so John, on that note, I, w- I wanted to close with some local things here. Uh, first off, if people are listening here and they are like, man, that's inspiring. I want to do something. If only there was a way right now I could go out and, and maybe pray to end abortion. How might someone hey. do that in the Fresno area? Check out 40 Days for Life from Rise of Life of Central California. Uh, we are
1: out next to the Planned Parenthood Clinic just a few blocks away from here on Fulton Street. Uh, we actually have the building that is right next door to Planned Parenthood at, located at 616 North Fulton Street. 616 North Fulton Street. Don't put 616 Fulton Street, you'll wind up somewhere in downtown Fresno. (laughs) 616 North Fulton Street. So we're just south of Planned Parenthood on the southbound one-way stretch of Fulton Street. We have the building there uh, for our volunteers to use. got supplies and signs and snacks and a coffee machine and a bathroom and stuff like that. So uh, head on down to 616 North Fulton Street and join us for a peaceful prayer vigil outside of Planned Parenthood offering resources to people We have a great partnership we're doing this year with Pregnancy Care Center to try to reach women uh, who are going into Planned Parenthood. So there you go. If you wanna learn more or give us a call about what times we need people, uh, just give us a call at 559-229-BABY. That's 559-229-2229 at Right to Life of Central California.
0: Perfect, there you go. So folks, I strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, Stay involved and if you're looking for a way to make a proactive difference, um, especially if you're a conservative and you're watching all of the stuff happening with the presidential election, and you're thinking, "Man, you know, I there's really nothing that I can do in California." Um, I, I support the electoral college, just for the record. Um, yep. Even though it means that my vote will never ever count for president as long as I live <laughs> in this state, it will basically. I See, mean, we need to support the electoral college, but we also need to support breaking up a
1: couple of these yes. r- way too big states like yeah. this one.
0: Yeah, I mean Elizabeth Warren, she's talking about breaking up Amazon and Facebook and Google. Well, how about breaking up California for crying out loud? Come you on, go. Break, there them you go. break them up! Break, break them up! Break up. them up! That's anyway. what that's what I think. Anyway, I, I, talking about antitrust, psh, come on, psh, anti-California. So anti-Gavin. The, the other thing I wanted to say is the. The rally at the Capitol next week, John, uh, uh-huh. just a scant 10 days from now, uh, I strongly encourage you, if you go to our website, CaliforniaFamily.org, there are multiple stories. If you go to our Facebook page, uh, Facebook.com slash California Family, there is a post right now at the top of that page that uh, is talking about the title, and it's the same article as on our blog, Outraged Parents to Rally Again at Capitol Over Sexualized K-12 through Health Lessons. And it says a mother-led grassroots group from Southern California is organizing a rally at the Capitol next week to protest plans to add sexual content to K through 12 health lessons among other things. So the first rally was January 25th and I was privileged to emcee that rally alongside my staff member, Greg Burt and alongside uh, the two ladies who were leading that up, Aileen Blakowski and Stephanie Yates, uh, this amazing two moms with Kids in school who just were really getting fed up of looking at the curriculum and seeing how hypersexualized it was. Mm-hmm. And John, we've talked about we've talked about the history of sex ed, comprehensive sexuality education. Mm-hmm. The the difference that I think is key here. It's not just sex education. It's not just reproductive health education. When they say comprehensive sexuality education, um, I hate to be too graphic here, John. In our last ninety seconds, but you go. <laughs> co- correct me if I'm wrong. Um, same-sex relationships, I'll put it as obliquely as possible in the case there's kids in the car. Same-sex relationships generally do not have anything to do with reproduction, is that is that correct? Uh, I would say 100% of the time. They yeah, don't. so theoretically. So we're talking about the mechanics of how that relationship expresses itself. Correct, Sexually, and that is why it is beyond reproductive health. They are talking about sexuality education, comprehensive. Yes. Sexuality education. And and beyond that, they are also talking
1: about abortion education because they're providing kids with information about all legally available forms of birth control, which includes not only abortifacient contraception, IUDs, the morning after pill, it also includes actual elective surgical abortion, talking to kids about about abortion, about what their rights are relating to abortion, about how abortion is safe. And they're bringing in vendors to discuss these things like... Planned Parenthood, Planned surprise, Parenthood, surprise. which is the vendor for Fresno Unified School District teaching this, which is the vendor for Los Angeles Unified School District teaching this, and
0: probably lots of other school districts throughout the state. And that is why we are rallying at the Capitol on March 28th. I encourage you go to our website, californiafamily.org, go to the Facebook page, sign up on the event, um, send a donation. We need your help to help uh, raise money to get people up there to the Capitol and to support the event. We will talk to you next week. I'm Jonathan Keller. I'm John Girardi. God bless, and we'll see you next week.